Hey, thanks for checking out this week's Staff Meeting Devo. This week, Pastor Tom continued on from Sunday's message in a Devo about how to apply the concept of Beyond Sunday to our leadership. Let's check it out. Alrighty, well, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to look at um, something today that I hope is going to be helpful. And I wanted to look at um, following on from this weekend's message. So this weekend, we started um, a three-week series that Megan and I are going to be a part of, where we're looking at the mission, vision, and culture of Word of Life Church. We're going to um, do this every fall is our anticipation. And it really is a chance for us to pause, think about this is who we are as a church. This is what we're about. This is what we care about. These are our priorities. This is where we believe we're going in the immediate future. And what a word that we have for the next 12 months or so. And so I'm going to speak today uh, with the assumption that everyone has heard or was a part of this weekend's service. Um, So hopefully it still makes sense if you weren't a part of it, Um, but it is going to follow on from what I spoke about this past weekend. And really want to look at um, Beyond Sunday and Leadership. Beyond Sunday and Leadership. And as part of the message from the weekend, I looked at five ways to embrace our faith beyond Sunday. And so I want to look at those same five things, but contextualize them Talking about leadership, talking about how we run our teams, what we want from you know our healthy ministries, how we want you know the culture on our teams to be. So it's the same idea from this past weekend, the same five things, but really within a leadership context. So the first thing that we said this weekend is we need to get back to the Bible. So for us today, it's be leaders that get back to the Bible. Be leaders that get back to the Bible. Now, why should anyone read the Bible? And that's really what I tried to hit on on Sunday, and to think differently about life, to have our mindsets changed, to have a different framework with which to view the world and make sense of the world, a different set of priorities. That's really what the Bible is about. Specifically, what we heard from Jesus is that it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we can get those things figured out, then everything else will start to fall into place. Now, in the Bible, it also sort of gives a different perspective. Um, an alternative view of leadership. And I've shared this verse with you a number of times, and 100% chance I'll share it again. Matthew 20. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. It's a different view of leadership. It's a different view of everything in the Bible. It's a different way of viewing the world. It's a different way of making sense of things. It's also specifically a different view of leadership. Um, John Maxwell is a massive hero of mine. I've been an appreciator of his books 20 plus years at this point. Really appreciate John Maxwell. Just what he writes, it just makes sense to me and I just agree with it. One of the things that I've read him uh, sort of write about and what I've heard him speak about a few times is there'll be moments where he'll go to a business environment. So it's not a church context. And he'll go to a business environment and people will say to him like, you know, John, where do you get this stuff? And he kind of downplays it and says, you know, you don't want to know. And of course, people being people, it's like, oh, we definitely want to know now. So he's like, okay, I'm not going to talk about that here. But if you want to know more, come see me afterwards. And then afterwards, people are like, so where are you getting all this stuff? The Bible. And he just lays out, I was a pastor for 25 years. And in my years in ministry, these are the lessons that I learned from my experience working with people, my experience of reading the Bible and hoping that the Bible would shape and guide my leadership. And what Maxwell has proven, and one of the reasons I really do appreciate him as an author and as a leader, is he's taken stuff from the Bible And he has applied it, and he's put it into practice. And it cuts through cultural barriers. It cuts through differences and uh, things that sort of distinguish people. And it's cut through all of that, and it provides effective leadership 
to people. I think about the book of Proverbs and we think about the Bible and leadership. The book of Proverbs is a fascinating book to me. And if I was put on the spot and asked to name a a favorite book of the Bible, there's a fair chance I would come to Proverbs, partially because the sayings of Proverbs were collected by Solomon and others because they needed to put down, okay, this is the helpful stuff that's going to help you through life. In essence, Proverbs is the John Maxwell book of its day. It is like the collected sayings so that they can give this to the young Hebrew boys as they're growing up and as they're becoming young men. It's, this is what you need to know. That's why you keep hitting on things like don't be lazy, don't be foolish, don't give in to gossip, don't, be, you know, don't, don't give in to your feelings. Plan ahead. Get your head in the game. Put God first. Like all that stuff in the Proverbs. It really is a leadership book within the Bible. And one of the things that we can see from reading the Bible and the narrative especially, particularly with this mindset of uh, leadership, as we get back to the Bible... We can read about people's lives, and we can read about how leaders did things well and how things did things poorly. One of the uh, great mistakes that people will make is that if they read it in the Bible and a biblical hero does it, it's assumed to be a good idea. It always makes sense to follow the story through and see how it worked out. For instance, this has nothing to do with anything else I'm talking about, but yes, great biblical heroes practice polygamy, and it never, ever one time works out. So does the Bible endorse polygamy? No, it's telling you, if you do this, it does not go well. That's one example of many. But in context of leadership, I was thinking about King Saul. King Saul is an incredible case study of how not to go about leadership. I'm a big proponent that the only shortcut in life that works is learning from other people's mistakes. Learning from King Saul's mistakes, one that comes to my mind is there's that moment where there's a battle that's about to happen and he says, no one's allowed to eat anything. His son, Jonathan, didn't get the memo, eat some honey. And he gets his hand caught in the jar like Winnie the Pooh. Saul decides it's time to start killing people. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? What are you doing? And that rash kind of thinking, great lesson in how to not lead well. Get back to the Bible. As leaders, we need to get back to the Bible. Read the Bible so we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we can learn how to be kingdom-minded leaders so we can help others love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and love their neighbors as themselves. Second thing, be leaders that are true and sincere worshipers. Be leaders that are true and sincere worshipers. We need to prioritize this for our teams, not just for ourselves. We as individuals, we cannot lead on empty. We can't expect others on our team to serve and lead on empty. Often in busy churches, and I would certainly say ours is a very active church. We've got a lot of things going on. There's a lot of activity that makes church possible. In busy churches, there are often people who are attracted to the doing side of ministry. There are people who enjoy the fact that they get to come up and they get to accomplish something. They get to be a part of activity and get stuff done. And there are goals and objectives. And there's just a personality type where people are drawn to that. And they enjoy that they get to come and they get to achieve something through ministry. That doesn't mean... That's all we should expect of people. People will come and they will serve and they will serve and they serve. We have these people in our church. We have these people in our teams. I've seen it many, many times. That's a heart that people have. That can't be a substitute for a heart for worship. Part of our responsibility as leaders is to keep the spiritual reality of church front and center. And that's why I've come to only grow in my love and affection for our staff meetings. The fact that we as a staff who on the weekend, we have a long list of responsibilities. We're all busy running around on the weekend. And yet we take time every Tuesday to gather, we pray, we worship together, we put God first and foremost. Of all the things that need to get done, of all the things that need to get accomplished, of all the goals and objectives and all the things that keep us busy, 
None of it can be take the place. None of it is as important as having God front and center. So as leaders, we need to be strong and sincere worshipers. We need to be true and sincere worshipers. And in that, we provide a role model for our team. We provide a role model for our team. Now, for it to be a role model for our team, and this is something that I was really interested in as I was kind of got thinking about today and preparing. If our worship and us being true and sincere in our worship, if that's going to be a role model for our team, that really speaks to the closeness of the relationship we have with the people on our team. You cannot be a role model for this at a distance. If we want our teams to observe this from us, it means a close relationship. For people to see and observe the quality in their leader, to see that quality of worship, it speaks to a closeness that's needed. To observe someone as a worshiper that's true and sincere in their worship, it takes time for that to be seen. It's seen through seasons and consistency. Being a sincere worshiper doesn't have to be proven or publicly demonstrated, but if we spend time with people, we will be able to see that shine through their life. You know, no one would ever worship or pray or be spiritual just to impress others. Of course, we know that Jesus don't do that. But to just sincerely, quietly build that kind of life and trust that somehow God will use it to grab a hold of others. Somehow, that worshiper's heart, that true heart of worship towards God will shine through our lives and will be observed and seen by others. Most importantly, helping people develop a spiritual life is the highest responsibility we have. And we don't ever want to be accused of being hypocritical. We cannot lead people to become worshipers if we are not going and being worshipers ourselves. It is the highest responsibility we have to help people build strong spiritual lives, lives rooted on who Jesus is, lives that are driven and shaped and molded by the Holy Spirit. It's the highest responsibility that we have. And if we are not going there ourselves, there is no reasonable way for us to expect others to go there for us. Number three, everyone okay so far? Be leaders that grow in gifting and leadership. Be leaders that grow in gifting and leadership. One of the hiring questions that we have, um, and possibly the one that I pay most attention to and I'm most interested in, is I always ask, what are your favorite books or podcasts? Because as far as I'm concerned, this is a stewardship issue. Leadership is a responsibility. Leadership is a responsibility, which means it should come with a deep conviction to grow and stretch. It comes with a deep conviction to take that responsibility seriously. That involves growing and stretching that responsibility that God has trusted us with. Consequently, whenever I'm talking to someone and it's just casual conversation, someone mentions a, a book that they're reading or a podcast or an article or something on YouTube or whatever, it registers with me. Because it demonstrates that this is someone who's serious about their growth. This is someone that's serious about their development as leadership. To me, whenever I hear someone and they're just talking, and just through conversation, they mention like, oh yeah, I'm reading such and such a book. Or, you know, I was listening to this podcast the other day. Or, oh, I found this great series on YouTube. Whatever it may be. Whenever I hear someone talk like that, it immediately screams to me like, okay, this is someone that's taking this stewardship responsibility seriously. This is someone that is looking at the responsibility of, of, of growing and stretching and becoming all that God's called them to be. They're taking that seriously to the point where they are working hard and being disciplined to sharpen the skills that God has put on their life. Among you, it will be different. That's what we read from Jesus. Among you will be different in our leadership. In our secular environment, growing and stretching, sharpening skills, it's typically done so that we can advance in a career or we can move forward with an ambition. Now, that's not evil. It's not wrong. But as we talk about kingdom leadership, we talk about leadership here at the church and leadership in ministry, among you will be different. In a church environment, we don't stretch, we don't grow, we don't disciple, you know, we don't have discipline in growing and stretching for our own endeavors, for our promotions or for whatever else. But instead, 
We do it and we sharpen up and we take this responsibility seriously so that we can help people more by becoming more effective leaders, by sharpening our skills, by taking what we are called to do seriously and having that responsibility and take it to heart. All of that helps us serve people and love people better. If we learn how, to, if we stretch in our communication skills, for instance, I do the very uncomfortable thing of listening back to my message every week. It's uncomfortable, but I want to get better because I want to be more effective in presenting the gospel to people. I'll read books on public speaking and communication because I want the messages on Sunday to be effective in reaching people and grabbing people and showing them the goodness and the love of God. I want to do that because I want to take that seriously, but it's not for my own selfish endeavors. I once heard about some of the astronomical speaker fees that people get at some of these massive church conferences. I don't get better as a speaker, so I get one of those huge honking speaker fees. I'm also not turning it down, but that's another thing. In all seriousness, my motive is that I want the people of this community, I want the people of our church to hear the message of Jesus and have their life completely changed. So I want to take that responsibility seriously. And I think that applies to anything that any one of us is called to do, whatever area of ministry we're called to do. It's a responsibility. And in the world, in the secular environment, in the marketplace, you sharpen up, you learn new skills so that you can advance your career. In that environment, I don't think that's wrong or evil. But in a church environment, the motive is not a promotion. It's not selfish ambition. It's so that we can serve people and love people more and more because we have a life-changing message. Number four, be leaders that are determined to make a difference. Be leaders that are determined to make a difference. This is all about a perspective and having a determination. That is a key word in this whole thing. A great example of this is Paul the Apostle. Specifically, an example that came to mind was when he was in Athens. There was no scheduled ministry for Paul in Athens. But it appears that while he's waiting for a ship to go on to what's next, instead of just wasting time, instead of twiddling his thumbs, he goes to the synagogue and does his usual thing. Then he starts debating a few Greek philosophers. And then he gives his famous sermon at Mars Hill. Without a determination to make a difference, Paul would have just done some tourist stuff. But Paul was determined. In a post-shutdown church, determined people are standing out more and more. The COVID shutdown essentially made everyone who wasn't in the medical field, essentially they were induced into hibernation. We all ordered way too much stuff on Amazon, and we all watched way too much Netflix. Culture-wide, we all learned to live on pause. The people who have snapped out of hibernation and are ready to go, that are determined to make a difference, those legends are standing out. The leaders who are dissatisfied with lackluster impact and the leaders who are ready to try new stuff, if it means being more effective, those people are standing out. And those are the people who will build. Settling for the harvest we already have sucks. And we cannot fall into that trap because people are too valuable. We need that determination that determination to make a difference, to be more effective, to reach people better, to help people more, to serve people in a greater way, to be more effective in communicating the gospel. Because people are too valuable. Fifth and final one, be leaders that are passionately abandoning sin. Be leaders that are passionately abandoning sin. James 4.17. This is possibly my least favorite verse in the whole Bible. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. That is the broadest definition of sin possible. It's so far from how we typically feel about sin. You know, we typically want to know how far is too far. We typically want to know, well, you know, have I crossed the line if I've done this? If, if I get this close, is that okay? 
So really this kind of thinking that James is teaching the churches, it's a call to maturity because it's putting the weight on you and your relationship with God. Immaturity looks for the loophole. Immaturity looks for justification. Immaturity depends on black and white. They de it depends on clearly defined lines and boundaries. But maturity is guided by a closeness to God. Maturity is someone who has adopted kingdom values as their own. Maturity is someone at a crossroads or someone facing temptation and what's determining their decisions is everything that God has done in their hearts and minds. It's coming to that point and coming to temptation or coming time to make a decision. And everything that he's taught us is what's driving us. Everything we've learned from the Bible, everything we've observed and learned through life, that is what's shaping our decision making. That is what's helping us as we get to temptation point. Now I'm going to assume that as we're talking about leaders, Hopefully by this point, and we, we do our best as a church, we do our due diligence to sort of invite people. We ask for a, a level of maturity. I don't think it's too rigid, and I don't think it's unreasonable, but we do ask people, hey, this is some things you need to have in line if you're going to be trusted with leadership here at the church. For people to get to that point, oftentimes, and I'll speak to my own life, definitely for me, before I was ready to take that point, there was some amputation that needed to happen, some extremely unhealthy things that needed to get, you know, come out of my life, some bad behaviors some bad patterns, all those things, needed, gone, chopped off, gone. And as we start to get more and more mature in our faith, hopefully the amputation stops being amputation and it starts becoming microsurgery. And the microsurgery doesn't stop being important. Microsurgery is things like attitudes and patterns of thinking. And in lots of ways, it's much harder to address and people are much more resistant to that kind of work and that kind of discipleship and that kind of conviction, that kind of sanctification than having their limbs chopped off in amputation. That microsurgery of adjusting an attitude, thinking differently about the word, curbing your attitude on something, not responding that way, breaking that kind of thought pattern. Those kind of things are tricky. Those kind of things are painful. Those kind of things oftentimes need counselors, trained counselors coming in and helping people walk through those kind of things. But it's painful. But that is abandoning sin be some negative thought patterns aggressive thought patterns we let that slide a lot easier than some very obvious sins all of it is destructive all of it's painful all of it leads people they shouldn't go and yet we'll celebrate and hoot and holler and we'll prevent people from taking on leadership positions for some more of the obvious stuff that doesn't mean the work is finished it doesn't mean the sanctification and the job of the Holy Spirit of rooting out sin in our lives is done. And I would say to us, we need to be passionate as leaders. And I am 100% not letting myself off the hook. Needs to be passionate about, Lord, what is in me that is destructive? What is in me that is sinful? What is it in me that is doing as James is warning us against? Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Lord, where am I coming up short on my convictions? Where am I going against what you, all you've taught me? Be leaders that are passionately abandoning sin. Five ways to embrace our faith beyond Sunday and be the kind of leaders that are leading beyond Sunday. Be leaders that get back to the Bible. Be leaders that are true and sincere worshipers. Be leaders that grow in gifting and leadership. Be leaders that are determined to make a difference. And be leaders that are passionately abandoning sin. Lord Jesus, use something from this, something from this weekend, Lord, to help us serve your people better. Lord, among you, it will be different. Among us, Lord, it has to be different. If we're going to build your kingdom, we have to build it your way. And that means us wanting to serve. That means us wanting to put others first. It means us not chasing limelight and glory, 
but Lord, but wanting to see others lifted up and others rescued and others helped and blessed and encouraged. Lord, help us take this to heart. We want to honor you. We want to see people blessed by what you're doing. We want to serve the people on our teams. We want to see the people of our church rise up to be all you've created them to be. So Lord, help us. Lord, we cannot do it without you. We trust that you're moving and we lift it all up to you. In Jesus' amazing name, amen, amen.